our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. These are Jesus' words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I have spoken to you, the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and much you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Pillar. Uh, today, we'll continue our, our sermon series in John, and like before, you've, you've noticed throughout the last few months, we've had some guest speakers up here giving God's message, uh, people, men from our leadership team having the opportunity to study and deliver God's word, and today is one of those opportunities with Zachariah Pittman, who's going to be delivering God's word. Now, if the last name sounds familiar... Hold your coffee cup up proudly. So not only is Zachariah a purveyor of our favorite coffee in Okinawa, but also he's an elder. He, they lead his, he and his wife, Rachel, lead a community group, a, a missional community, and they have so for years. They've been on island for four years and has served P- Pillar well from that first day I met them walking in the door. You are going to be... Uh, you are going to be blessed and encouraged from his message. I heard it first session, and I'll tell you, Zechariah has perhaps the best metaphor I've heard for spiritual life, and I think you're going to be really encouraged by Zechariah's words. He is one of my best friends, and I say that unbiasedly, uh, or in fact, it's extremely biased uh, saying that, but you, this is his first sermon, and It is not a first sermon. I've heard lots of first sermons in my life. This is no way near a first sermon, even though it's a first sermon. Do you follow any of that? 
Zachariah is a lot more clearer speaker than I am. So give him a round of applause as Zachariah comes up. Thank you for your kind words, Ron. I do appreciate it. And I, I do appreciate the opportunity to, to preach this morning. As Ron mentioned, this, is, um, this will be the first sermon that I've ever given. <clears throat> when John sent out an email uh, last year, last summer, and he asked us if we wanted to sign up uh, to preach on the book of John, anywhere in it. He let us pick whichever passages we wanted. Um, and at the time, I was going through this passage, John 15, 1 through 17, um, memorizing it, spending time um, meditating on it. Um, it is one of my favorite passages because it's beautiful and it's awesome. There's some awesome promises in it. Um, but it is also challenging. It does contain some, some pretty tough verses um, that we'll go through. When I signed up for it, this was July of last year and February of 2022 just seemed blissfully distant. But here we are. Um, God has really used this, this passage to soften my heart, and, and I pray that his spirit speaks to you with it as well. Um, so let's, let's go to him in prayer right now and ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for an opportunity to meet with fellow believers um, publicly, people who love you and call you Lord. Um, Father, I pray that your spirit be with us this morning. I pray that you teach our hearts, give us ears to hear your word, and the courage to act on it. And in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so last week we left with Jesus promising um, that he's leaving and that he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's been telling them for quite some time now, he's saying, hey, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm leaving soon. Um, but he said that he's going to pray to the Father and that the Father will send him a helper, who is the, the Holy Spirit. Um, the big idea from last week was we are orphans no more, but we are forever kept and perfectly loved by the Father. There's a, a chapter break in there between chapters 14 and 15, but this is a, this is a continuation of the exact same conversation um, right there after the Last Supper. The title for this sermon today is Living in Christ, Loving Others to Death. There's quite a bit in these 17 verses to unpack, but the big idea for today is this. As I abide in Jesus, my life will bear fruit, and I will love others as he has loved me. <clears throat> we'll explore what it means to abide in Christ and how that relates to the fruit in our life. We'll also spend a good amount of time on Jesus' second greatest commandment that he ever gave, which is that we are to love one another. Um, Prior to being stationed out here in Okinawa, my family and I were stationed in Las Vegas, Nevada. My wife Rachel grew up in Reno, which is about eight hours north um, of, Nevada, or of, of Las Vegas. Has anybody ever done that drive on Highway 95 between Reno and Las Vegas before? Yeah, so a few of us in here. We were in last, uh, last sermon as well. Um, if you've driven that drive before, there's a, a small town about halfway called Hawthorne. Middle of nowhere, really, really small town. It, it has two defining features, and you're, you're going to remember it if you've forgotten it. Um, <clears throat> first off, when you get to the southern part of the town, you, you peek over this crest and you come down into this long valley, and it's just, you'll see rows and rows and rows of bunkers. There's thousands of munitions storage bunkers. Um, it's one of the largest munitions storage depots uh, on the earth. 
It's pretty amazing. Then you come to this small town. There's really not much there, um, like most towns in Nevada. Um, once you get to the north end of town, you start to see this lake, which I'll show you a picture of. Um, this is Walker Lake. If you've ever driven across Nevada, you can appreciate just how dry and barren of a desert it is. It's, it's very, very dry. There's very few rivers and lakes. There are beautiful spots up in the mountains, like around Tahoe and Reno. It's nice. This area, it's pretty, pretty desolate. So it gives stark contrast to this. When you, you pull up on 95, you see this beautiful lake. Looks like just this gorgeous oasis of life-giving water. But that's only what it looks like. About 150 years ago, ranchers and farmers began diverting water out of the Walker River. You see, Walker Lake has exactly one river that feeds into it and nothing that goes out of it. So as they began diverting water to uh, irrigate with, the water levels in the lake began to drop. It looks like a pretty good-sized lake now. That's 150 feet lower than its natural state. And because the river, because there's no outlet to the lake, all of the dissolved solids in the water have just accumulated to the point now where the water is actually toxic. It used to support a massive trout population that in turn supported local Paiute Indians um, and migratory birds that would stop through and grab a snack. Um, the lake still looks alive. You look at it, it looks like a pretty decent lake, but it's not. It is actually dead on the inside. Appealing to be next to, but don't drink from its waters. Walker Lake provides a warning for us, and this passage will show us how. So let's get to work. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to John chapter 15. And these verses will be up on the screen as well. So right here, John 15, 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Jesus spoke uh, often in parables, and sometimes they were, they're really difficult to understand. They can be confusing. But this, this language he's using of a vine and a vine dresser, it's language that the disciples would have been really well acquainted with at the time and wouldn't have needed a lot of further explanation. Um, I think it's pretty easy for us to understand as well. Uh, most of us have not griven, grown up on a vineyard, but the idea of a grapevine is pretty simple. A grapevine is... Its whole purpose is to produce grapes. And a vine dresser, his job is to tend to the vines and produce fruit. In Jesus' final I am statement, Jesus is claiming here to be the vine. So what does a grapevine do? What does a vine do? And what does it provide? For the branches, the vine provides structure and support. It, it physically lifts the branches off of the ground where they would be otherwise and into the sunlight where they can thrive. The vine also is the sole source of life-giving water and nutrients. The vine is absolutely the most important thing in the world for the branches because it's, it's the source of life. If Jesus is the vine, then what is our role? Go with me to verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
before we press further into what it means to be a branch, um, let's talk about what it means to abide. Because the word abide isn't one that we often use in conversational English. Um, a lot of other translations, to include NIV, and even the video that we just listened to prior to me coming up here, um, they, they translate this verse as remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remain gets, gets close to the original meaning of the text, but it doesn't, doesn't fully capture it. Um, biblical scholar Tim Mackey, whom you would be acquainted with if you've ever listened to the Bible Project podcast, super good, highly recommend it. Um, he defines abiding in this way, and look, what, look at it up on the screen with me. He says, to abide in Jesus, it means to give my allegiance to him, to trust in him, to trust his love for me, and to follow his teachings. So it is remaining in Christ, but there's so much more than that. It's, it's trusting him, it's daily walking with him and following his teachings, submitting to his law. In verse five, it says that we are the branches to Jesus, the vine. Now, can a branch live apart from a vine? No, no, of course not. Can a branch pull life from any other source but the vine? No. Now we know this, and it's simple, we know it, but do we believe it? Do we live like our hearts know that this is true? Don't we try to pull life from other vines? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Probably 95% of us uh, get on our phone. If someone logged throughout the day how much time you spent um, reading news feeds and checking social media and your email and messaging people, and then compare that with how much time you spend studying God's word, memorizing it, meditating on it, and praying to him, where might they assume that you're trying to draw life from? If I'm honest, I often feed more from the news than I do from Christ. That's even been true at parts of this week with the, the war going on in Ukraine, just constantly trying to follow the news. Uh, many of us are more consumed with our careers um, and with our family than we are in abiding with Christ. We're looking to other things for life that are not Jesus. But how will that work out for us? Jesus claimed not to be a source of life. Jesus claimed to be life itself. He is the true vine, the only vine that brings and sustains life. Any other vine that you attach yourself to for life can be a false god and one that is only gonna lead to death. It can even be good things that seemingly give life but don't. Things like your career, your family, sex, money. These are gifts and they're good things to be enjoyed in the right context, but don't look to them to give you life. Only Jesus can provide life. We need to pursue Jesus like we believe this. We need to daily consume his word with a voracious appetite, not just taking in his word like a snack on Sunday mornings. Look, I am not life. John, great preacher, he's not life. Neither of us are good vines. We're terrible vines to attach ourselves to. Go to the source, go to Jesus himself for life. You might be thinking to yourself right now, okay, Zach, but how can we practically do this? I am so glad you asked. 
So here's a few practical things you can do. First, when you wake up in the morning, leave your phone off. Pray and spend some time reading through his word. Journal. If you haven't started that habit, make it one. Write down the things that the Spirit's teaching you. Meditate on his word throughout the day, even busy days. And spend meaningful time each week memorizing God's word. You should know key verses like John 3.16 and Romans 3.23. But you also should have memorized entire passages. Um, passages like this one. John 15.1-17. Romans 8. Those are daunting tasks to memorize that much. And you may not think that you are able to do so, but I promise you, you absolutely can. Listen, I've got, I've got terrible memory. Um, you could ask my wife, Rachel, and she will back me up on this. I've got just awful memory. It's, it's terrible. Um, but last year, I really felt convicted that I wasn't memorizing really any um, meaningful amount of scripture. And I, I got tired and embarrassed of looking up verses on Google because I didn't have it memorized. Um, so I set out to, to memorize as much as I could. Didn't set a specific target or goal, um, but I started using the Bible Memory app and spent about 10 to 15, maybe 20 minutes each day um, just, just working on verses. By the end of last year, um, I had memorized over 300 verses to include Romans 8, Colossians 3, several Psalms, this passage. Um, I'm sharing this not because I think I'm awesome. I am definitely not awesome. I promise you that. But I am sharing this because if I could do it, I, I promise you, you absolutely could do it too. You just got to put the time in. Um, some other things that you can do to abide in Christ. Fellowship. You should be in a men or women's Bible study. We have them here at Pillar. If you don't know how to get connected, um, put your name on the iPod in the back or come find me afterwards and I'll point you in the right direction. Also, you should definitely be involved in a missional community and in fight clubs. This list is getting longer and longer, and look, I know you feel like you probably don't have time for all of this. You're thinking, I am way too busy, and I can relate to that. I feel like that all the time. Um, but listen, we don't have enough time not to abide in Christ. Our time here on earth is so short. We've got but this little season and the wind passes over, and we're gone. Let us spend the time that we have abiding in him and living the life that is truly life because we really don't have time not to. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, well, then what is our function here? It's to bear fruit. It's simple. What fruit is there to bear? I'll come back to that in the second half of this passage. Um, for now, let's continue with the text and pay attention to what happens to branches that don't abide in Christ and that don't bear fruit. In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Skipping down to verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. Branches that don't bear fruit are thrown away and burned. That's super uncomfortable, right? This is a difficult text. This is, this, these are hard truths. Uncomfortable. Some of us here right now, we're so close to the vine. 
but there's no fruit. It looks like it, but there's not. The other branches around us may have no idea. We show up. We're here right now. We say things like, I believe in God. But are we abiding in Christ? Are we obeying his commandments? Do we even know what his commandments are? Are we daily pulling nourishment from Jesus and submitting to him? Or are we trusting that we've been good enough? Some of us are like Walker Lake. You see, Walker Lake was cut off from its vine. Its only source of life was the Walker River. And that river stopped flowing. Some of us, we look like we have life. We look like we're connected to the vine, but we aren't receiving life from Jesus. We are dead and empty on the inside. Jesus has given us a very sober warning in this text. He says explicitly that if you do not abide in him, you will dry up, be thrown away, and burned. This sounds harsh. It sounds unloving. Um, But what is the point of a branch if not to bear fruit? It's the whole reason it exists. Remember, God is the vine dresser, and his designs for the fruit and for the vine are that they should bear fruit. He'll work towards that end. So there's a warning there, and a heavy one. Um, But he's also given us some pretty incredible promises that I want to turn to you now in this passage. Um, Here in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. It's such a short line, it's, it's easy to look past and not see what, um, what he's saying there. He's saying, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. I will stay with you. Jesus is promising here, as he's promised so many times before in his word, that he will not leave you. Look, I'm going to point out three more verses to you that say exactly the same thing. Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a bit of a pattern, isn't it? Um, Jesus knows that we are slow to listen sometimes, and sometimes he repeats himself. This is a promise that he wants us to know. You should memorize this. Know these promises and know deep down to your bones that he will not leave you. Jesus never has left you. Even at times when you feel like you're Walker Lake, you're dead on the inside, hollow and empty, Jesus has not left you. No matter what you do, no matter where you run to, there's nothing that you can do to pry yourself out of Jesus' hands. Nothing, nothing is greater than his love for us. Know that and believe it. Here's another promise for you. Verse five. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what's the promise here? Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. So what's required for your life to bear fruit? Abide in Christ. It's that simple. Sometimes we try so hard to bear fruit. We pour ourselves into relationships. We serve our friends at work and in our neighborhood trying to make this fruit happen, sometimes by ourselves, And sometimes we despair when we don't see the fruit. It's hard. Relationships sour. Our kids rebel. My own brothers and sisters reject the gospel of Christ. 
though I've shared with them, there's seemingly no fruit from those relationships. It's at times like these that I have to latch on to this promise and trust it. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. It's a promise. It may take a season, and it might be a really long season. A lot of the fruit that's going to come for your, your life, if you abide in Christ, will happen after you die. Um, but it will come, Jesus has promised that it will, if you abide in him. Uh, one more promise for you guys. Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And Jesus is promising here that if we abide in him, our prayers will be answered. This is a promise that comes up so many times throughout the word, um, especially in John. It's a theme that just keeps repeating. He, he said back in chapter 14, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He makes this promise again in the same chapter in verse 16. And the author, John, um, repeats this promise again in his letter, first, uh, first John. He's promising that if you abide in him, if you ask in his name and in accordance with his will, it will be done for you. But this is tough because our life experiences haven't always reinforced this, have they? You pray for a spouse, but you're still single. You pray for healing for a friend, but they're still sick. You beg God to free you from your addiction but you still find yourself ensnared after years. It's not easy. Let's try to understand what he is promising here. He isn't promising to answer every prayer by every person. He's not even saying he's going to answer the really good prayers by the faithful when they pray really, really hard. Growing up, I always dreamed about one day becoming a pilot. Um, and then all through high school, I was planning on going to the Air Force Academy um, I prayed for it again and again and again, and I was convinced it was, it was God's will for me that, that I would go to school there. Um, what do you think happened when I graduated high school? I did not get into the Air Force Academy. I got a rejection letter, and it felt like rejection. Um, not just from the school, but it felt like rejection from God. I had convinced myself that this was his will for me, and I trusted in him, and I prayed, um, but I got a no. I got a no back. Um, now, it's, it's really easy for me to look back and see how God gave me a no, but it was a no because I have a better plan for you. Um, I didn't get into the Air Force Academy, but I did get into another school, and it was attending that school, which was actually a better school than the Air Force Academy. Um, it was there, attending there, that I met my wife, Rachel, my beautiful bride, and we've got four kids together, and none of that would have happened if God had given me what I thought was best for me to go to the Academy. Um, he had something better for me all along. It took me years to see it, and I'm not even saying that you'll always see that God had a better plan, but sometimes he does give this grace to us where we can look back and see that he, he was in control and he did know what's best. I think what Jesus is saying here is that when we abide in him and his word abides in us, our hearts will be more aligned to his, and we're going to learn to trust him more. Listen, Praying in the name of Jesus isn't as simple as ending your prayer with, in Jesus' name I pray. It's praying with the heart of Christ in line with his desires and his love. It is bringing to him our requests, our burdens. Um, 
but it's knowing absolutely that he knows what's best for us. And that he's going to answer these prayers accordingly. Not as a genie granting wishes, but as a kind father who does know what's best. He is a trustworthy father. Now, do the promises of a fruitful life um, and of answered prayer come with another promise that we're going to have an easy life? No. No, unfortunately it doesn't. Um, Back in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Um, So what he's saying here is that if you abide in Christ and you bear fruit, your life will be marked by pruning. Now, I grew up in western Washington, outside of a small town halfway between Seattle and Portland. Um, my parents still live there, same place, and there's, there's fruit, vines, and trees all over the yard. We've got apple trees, plum trees, pear, grapevines, blackberry vines, um, strawberries. If you've ever spent any time in Western Washington, either at Seattle or at JBLM, you'll know that the state has earned its reputation as a rainy place. It, it rains there quite a bit. Um, but when you get to the summertime, it is the most beautiful place on the planet. It's sunny, it's warm, it's not too hot, it's not humid like Okinawa, it's fantastic. And it's ideal fruit growing conditions, which is why most of the berries that you buy and eat are from either Washington or Oregon. Um, But while the fruit trees and vines seemingly happen spontaneously in the Pacific Northwest, those those plants still need to be tended if they're to be healthy and productive. Pruning is the act of cutting away the parts of the plant that are hindering growth, development, and fruit production. Because left unattended, many fruit trees and vines grow themselves into a mangled mass of limbs and excess growth. They really don't produce much fruit, and their own vines and limbs um, will strangle the life out of other branches and limbs. Pruning fixes that. So what does pruning look like in our lives? My wife and I, uh, over the last five years, have had four miscarriages. I share this for, for two reasons. First, when we were suffering through them, especially the first two, um, it really helped to have people that we loved come alongside us, put their arm around us, and say, I'm sorry, I've been there before, and I know that it hurts. I share this because I want you to know right now, if you are struggling with infertility, you are not alone. There are many people in this room who have gone through this, some of us multiple times, and some of us recently. Reach out. We would love to talk with you um, and suffer with you. I also share this um, because I can see now, looking back, how much God has shaped Rachel and I, both as a couple and individually, and allowing us to suffer the loss of our unborn children. Uh, God stripped away our self-reliance, and he taught us to lean on him. He also taught us to lean on other people. I didn't know how to do that before. I also learned through this season how to pray truthfully to God, to bring him my pain and my suffering, to ask him the hard questions, questions like, Are you even there? Do you care? Do you hear me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Look, 
I, I still don't know why those things happened. But I do know that he's good. I know that in the midst of my pain and suffering, he was there with me. He was suffering alongside us. Um, and Rachel and I, we've grown closer as a couple because of our suffering, the suffering we went through together. Uh, our, our marriage now is something that's more beautiful than it was before. And we individually are more, I think, empathetic to other people's suffering because of the suffering that we went through. This is what pruning can look like sometimes. Horribly painful. Was it punishment for my sin or for Rachel's sin? No, no, it wasn't. Jesus already paid the penalty for my sin. That debt has been paid and it's cleared. But he was using that to shape Rachel and I into the son and the daughter that he wants us to be. There are many, many ways that God can prune us. It might be catching COVID and spending 10 days in isolation with four little kids. It can be friendships that you've poured your life into that's sour when your friend betrays you. It can be the promotion that you've worked hard for and definitely deserve not happening. It might have even been and might continue to be being stationed here in Okinawa. Turn with me to Hebrews 12:11 real quick. It'll be up on the screen too. The author says, for the moment, all discipline, and real quick, I want to explain, um, the author here, he's not talking about discipline in the sense of punishment. He's talking about discipline in the sense of training, or in line with this context, um, pruning. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, oftentimes God uses pruning and suffering, a lot of times those are the same thing, to expose how our hearts are looking to other vines for life, vines that might actually be sucking the life out of us. One of my favorite fruits in Washington is wild blackberries. makes fantastic cobbler and pies. Um, if you've ever had wild, wild blackberries growing on your property, you'll know that those vines grow out of control and they suck the life out of everything else around it. Um, sometimes the best way to get rid of them is to just bring in a bulldozer and just scrape it off the earth. They're incredibly durable vines. Um, tasty fruit, but sometimes we need God to clear them out of our life. It doesn't feel pleasant. It's horribly painful, but God has promised that it is for our good. It's not a punishment. It's so that we bear more fruit. Speaking of the fruit, I promised earlier that I'd explain which fruit he's talking about. Um, in the second half of this passage, Jesus goes on and talks about it. Uh, verse 12, back in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That second verse, verse 13, I saw referenced on a plaque that was a memorial to a pilot, a rescue pilot, who had died in a crash. Um, it was a, just a picture of her smiling in the cockpit of a helicopter, um, a, a brief account of who she was, how she died. Um, and then this, this verse, our, the rescue schoolhouse is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
And up on the top floor of the squadron, there's a hallway that's lined with photos of all the heroes that have died in the rescue community, either on operational rescue missions or in routine training accidents. The motto of Air Force Rescue is, these things we do, the, air, the others may live. Reading that verse and having that motto and then, and then going through that rescue training process, it really, um, it had a, heavy, a big impact on me and how I interpreted this verse. What is love? Well, love is being willing to die for somebody else. It's what Jesus did. That's what we should do as well. But is that it? Is that the only thing that Jesus is saying here when he gives us this verse? I, I, I don't think so. If death is the end, then that idea of love means skipping the marathon of a race and crossing the finish line in a, in a blaze of glory. But did Jesus appear and go straight to the cross? No, no he didn't, of course not. We would have been done with this series months ago if he had. No, he walked with his friends. He walked with them for years, walking hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles with them. He celebrated at weddings with them. He drank wine with them. He shared meals. He probably even got food poisoning with them. And he wept with them. He knew them intimately, and they knew him. When Jesus saw them suffering, he didn't wish them well and say, good luck. He didn't look him in the eyes and say, man, that's really tough. I'll be praying for you. No, he suffered with them. He wept with them. And yes, yes, he did die for them. Shortly after this conversation, he was whipped, scorned, and crucified on a cross. In the ultimate act of love, he died that others may live. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. And if you believe in him, his death can be counted as your righteousness. If you cry out to him, you can be healed by his wounds. Someday, I might die in a rescue mission. I might die in a training mission. Um, someday, you might die for a friend, but you probably won't. You probably won't have to. Um, but when you know your friend is going through a rough time, you'll be there by their side. You'll pray with them. You'll send them messages of encouragement. You'll weep with your neighbor whose dad is dying of cancer. You're going to ask the hurting person if they're thinking about killing themselves. And when they tell you yes, you're not going to leave their side until they have help. You're going to sacrifice your time for their good. When your best friend has another miscarriage, you'll suffer with her. You're not going to try to fix it. You can't. Nobody can fix that but Christ. But you can be by her side and you can suffer with her. Man, when, when my family and I, when we've suffered here in Okinawa over the last four years, this is exactly what you guys have done for us. You've been by our side, weeping with us. Um, and when we were being pruned with the Rona two weeks ago with four kids in isolation, you guys were regularly dropping off entire meals that fed us and sustained us. This is love. This is laying down your life for friends. And this is exactly the kind of fruit that comes naturally when you abide in him. He'll make that fruit, prom that fruit happen. He promised he would. And he also says in verse 8 um, that this fruit brings glory to the Father, the vine dresser, and is evidence that we are in him. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. How are we going to be known to be his? It's by bearing his fruit. After all, bearing fruit is the very reason we were appointed to be his children. Let's read the end of the passage together. Verse 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command so that you will love one another. Look, before God laid the foundations of this world, he knew you and he chose you. Why? It's to bear fruit. It's to love him. It's to obey him, to love each other, even to the point of death, but never by yourself. He will be with you. It's my prayer this morning that we all take these words to heart. I pray that each of you will abide in Christ and in his love. Um, As we wrap up this morning, look, I know some of you right now feel like you're Walker Lake. You feel disconnected from Jesus. You pray, but you don't hear his voice right now. Maybe you never have. Maybe one time you trusted him, but now you feel like he's abandoned you. The river has run dry. I want you to know that there is absolutely hope. You can be filled back up, but you can't do it by yourself, and it's not something that any of us can do for you. You need Jesus, his life, and nothing less than that. A few years ago, they actually began restoration efforts on Walker Lake. Um, They began purchasing back land rights from the farmers. The river is flowing again once more, and the lake is slowly being refilled with water. It's a process that's going to take several years. Um, But the lake that is dead inside, empty and hollow, dried out, will once again hold and sustain life. You don't have to be empty and dead inside anymore. Cry out to Jesus to begin filling you up. He will do it. He wants to fill you with his joy and his love. You just got to ask him. The worship team is going to come forward in a minute, and it's going to take a minute to get set up. Take this time um, to reflect and pray. Ask Jesus to bring you his life. Ask him to abide in you and to help you abide in him. Ask him to help you love others as he has loved us.